Hey, Pastor Stephen here. Welcome to the Abundant Springs podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to check us out online at AbundantSprings.Church. And now, on to this week's message. I don't know if you ever uh, went to one of these church productions called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Uh, but it was, a, it was a really big thing, probably, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago, something like that. Um, and I remember being a, a, a very young person, and my parents took me to our church's production of Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Now, first of all, let me start off by saying this production was literally designed to scare the hell out of people, all right? Like, that, that's literally what it was designed to do. And, and if you haven't seen one of these productions, basically what it is, they introduce you to a number of uh, wonderful people, some of them seem like not so nice people. Some of them are, are like sweet old grannies, you know, and, and they're in varying states of faith in Jesus. And well, unfortunately, pretty much everyone in the play dies at some point. Uh, and, and they find themselves before the judgment seat of God. And so, you know, you've got some people, they come up to, to heaven's gates and Peter goes, oh, come on in. You know, you, you followed Jesus. You're good to go into heaven. And, you know, people will walk into heaven. They'll be like, there's chocolate. Things like that. You know, they're, they're, it's just, it's a wonderful place. And then you'd have somebody else come to, uh, to the gates. And, you know, it would be like the little granny, the sweet little old lady. And she'd come up to heaven's gates and they'd be like, well, you didn't know Jesus. And all of a sudden, these demonic screeching creatures would come up on the stage and they would grab her. No, don't take me. And they'd grab her away and drag her kicking and screaming to these little paper orange flames that had lights behind them and drag her off into hell to be tormented for all of eternity. And, you know, this was the kind of stuff that apparently we did back then. We, we literally were like, hell's a bad place. You don't want to go there. So, hey, get on board the Jesus train and you get free chocolate for eternity. You know, that, that's, that's what we did to sell people on Jesus. And I mean, I guess the numbers were there because they did it for quite a long time. But one thing that looking back over this, and as many people have looked over this type of stuff, looked over history, most of the people that were like, yeah, you know what, that heaven thing, it sounds a lot better than the hell thing. Most of those people, their motivations were not necessarily pure. And so what ended up happening was people would say, yes, sign me up. I want to become a Christian. And then you never saw them again. You know, they, they got the, the get out of hell free card. And now, now I'm done. I'm gone. I don't want anything to do with this. I'm not going to change. I, I just, I'm done. But the problem is, is it means that we have for quite a long time presented a Jesus or the gospel of Jesus. Gospel, if, if you don't know, is, is just actually an old Middle English term. I believe it is that means good news. We've presented this good news essentially as bad news and shown people a Jesus that's all about heaven and hell. Before I continue on, I think it's important that each of us gets the opportunity to, to do a little exercise here. I want to give you about 10 seconds just to consider this question. What picture comes to mind when you think of Jesus? What picture comes to mind when you think of Jesus? Go ahead and think about that. First picture that comes to mind. 
I'm willing to bet that for each one of us in this room, uh, there's probably an equal number of pictures of Jesus that have come into people's heads. All of us has a different idea, a different word, a different concept, a different image that comes into our minds when we think about Jesus. And I think an equally important exercise, not just to understand what we think of Jesus, is also to ask this, what picture comes to mind when your unchurched friends and coworkers think of Jesus? Now, I actually think this is a good question to ask them. Right? Because this isn't you coming up to them being like, let me tell you about Jesus. You need Jesus. But it's you just being like, hey, listen, you know that I'm big on this Jesus guy, and I just wanted to ask you a question. When, When I talk about Jesus or when you think of Jesus, what picture comes to your mind? Now, the key here is a lot of us will ask a question like this, and then we will argue with the person when they tell us what comes to mind. They never want to talk to you about him again because you just went, hey, everything that you think, I hate it. And you haven't learned anything because as soon as they said something you didn't like, you shut down and started going after them. But think of how valuable it could be if we truly began to ask people genuinely what is it that comes to mind when you think about Jesus. See, for a lot of people, you're going to hear from them, oh, I think he was a good teacher. You know, a good moral teacher. For other people, he's going to bring uh, to mind kind of these feelings of having something forced upon them, getting up early on Sunday instead of sleeping in, you know, um, maybe boring preaching. I don't know. <laughs> but he's going to bring something up like that. Some people, it's just a word, right? Someone might say, well, when I think of Jesus, I think of that time I stubbed my toe and that was the thing that I said, right? That, that's, for some people, that's what Jesus is. Or maybe it brings to mind the idea of a religious Christianity. And and don't don't get me wrong. I mean, Christianity is a, a religion. But when we get to a place of religiosity where everything centers around being perfect, it centers around tradition, it breeds something that's not healthy. Or maybe the thing that comes to people's mind is just a a nice white guy with a beard and long hair. You know, we've all seen the picture. I don't know how we decided a Middle Eastern man is white, but that's a topic for another day. The fact of the matter is, for us as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus here, when you think of Jesus, you have probably created a picture of him in your mind that looks an awful lot like you. Have you ever considered that? That the Jesus that you present to people, the Jesus that you have determined to serve, oftentimes is actually made in our own image. And so for for some of us, that might mean that that when we present Jesus, we're presenting a right-wing nut or a left-wing socialist minus the moral teaching or, or that we're presenting someone that's all about rules and regulations to live by. Or somebody that's all about just giving us a reason for the shame that we feel. Or a measuring stick. You know, we we never felt like we could measure up. And so we hold on to a Jesus who also gives us a measuring stick that we can never measure up to. Never reach. Whatever the image of Jesus is in your mind... 
when we present him to the world, more often than not, what we end up doing is presenting to the world a churchianity of salvation by good works rather than a Christianity focused on Jesus' invitation to be brought to life. Let me say that again. We oftentimes present a Jesus to the world, which is a churchianity of salvation by good works, rather than a Christianity that is focused on Jesus' invitation to be brought to life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today I ask that as we begin to talk about the way that you bring the dead to life, as we begin to talk about your desire for us and all that you've done for us and the the task that you have for us as your people, Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts to receive what you want to say to us today. Lord, that you would challenge us and that you would encourage us. And this morning, I ask, Lord Jesus, that you'll take these feeble human words that I'm about to speak and make them something worthwhile through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. First thing that I want to tackle, just really briefly, to get some of this stuff that we just unpacked out of the way is this. We cannot present to the world a Jesus made in our image. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, said, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Go back to the, uh, the first part of that verse for me. There we go. Look at that. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. For us to say, look at me. I found a Jesus who looks like me doesn't make sense because scripture says that when you begin to follow Jesus, your old life is gone and you become a new person. In fact, that you are made new in the image of Jesus Christ. And so it's not a matter of us having a Jesus who is made in our image, but in fact, our life is to be dictated by the principle of actually going forth in the process of being made in his image. He changes us. We don't change him. Now, let me get the whole churchianity thing out of the way, all right? This idea of you just got to, you know, meet the marks, check the boxes, and you're good to go. Here's what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Okay? It's not a matter of you're good, so he saves you. It's a matter of we couldn't do it, so God stepped in in his great love and did it for us. 
And so anything good that we do is done as a result of and in response to the gift that Jesus has given to us. It is not us saying, God, if you'll just love me, hang on a second, let me do these good things and and I, I hope that you will. I hope that I'll measure up. That's not it at all. And yet time and time again, what I see is Christians showing people a Jesus who is a measuring stick rather than people showing other people a Jesus who went out of his way to love us and to love us extravagantly. One of Jesus' followers named Matthew, he wrote an account of Jesus' life. We find it in the Bible, first uh, book of the New Testament, which is the Christian scriptures. And he tells us a story about a rich young ruler. This rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what one thing must I do to be saved? What one thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus lists off a a few commands to him and and he says, well, I've done all those things. I've got all those things covered. And what's so interesting here is Jesus then points to the one thing that is most important to this young man. He says, go and sell all that you have, give everything you have to the poor, and come and follow me. Then you will be assured of eternal life. Before we all get into a bit of a knot here, I want to make it clear that this is not Jesus saying that if you are generous, that if you give everything that you have, then you're going to be saved. That's not it at all. In fact, what Jesus was doing is he was pointing to this thing that was a stronghold in this young ruler's life. He was pointing to this thing that was number one, and he was saying, listen, I need to be number one. Jesus points to himself and he says, I'm to be the one that you trust in, not your riches. I'm to be the one that is first in your life, not your riches. And so generosity doesn't gain you salvation, but putting your full trust in Jesus and putting him first, that is what brings life. That is what brings life. Have you ever considered that? What, is, what we need to understand here, what we need to notice is that through this whole encounter with this young man, Jesus does not proceed to try to make a bad person good. That's not what he's doing in this encounter. This young man, in fact, is a very good person. A very good person. Jesus also does not bring into the discussion the idea of hell or heaven doesn't enter in. Now, if Jesus in this encounter did not feel that it was necessary to base his good news on these two things, why is it that we tend to wrap our entire Jesus, our entire gospel up in these things? Because I'll I'll tell you, folks, most people in the world today are not running around going, woe is me, I'm such a bad person. Most people in the world today are not running around going, man, I hope I don't go to hell. 
Or man, what, what place in eternity am I going to be at? These are not the places where most people are. Most people think they're pretty good. Instead, what Jesus does is he presents a gospel that says Jesus came to take what is dead inside of every person and bring that to life. To bring an eternal life. To take us from death to life now and forever, never to go away. And he invites us to begin to discover who God sees us to be and to enter his grand invitation to be a part of the tapestry that runs throughout history and shapes eternity. That's what he calls us into. See, Jesus is all about bringing what was dead back to life. That whole encounter with the rich young ruler is about eternal life. It's about life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so that's what Jesus is all about. See, we're told in the scripture that something called the fall happened. And, and with that, what happened is God created this, this wonderful world. He put these people in there and he hung out with them. In fact, uh, when he made the first man, we're told that he actually gathered together the, the dust, the, the, the mud, formed the man, and then breathed life or breathed his spirit into the man. The man was brought to life by the breath and presence of God and was sustained by the breath and presence of God. And we're told that God used to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. There was a relationship there. There was community and connection there. And it brought life. Humanity is designed for life from God. But at the fall when humanity determined in themselves that they didn't want things to be as they were with God, but that in fact they wanted to step beyond that into what God had said wasn't for them, that they actually wanted a position that was reserved for God. They walked outside of God's design and brought brokenness and death into the world. Put it this way. You've probably all been wondering all service why there's a random light sitting here on this table. And it's this. What is the purpose of a lamp? To, to, to bring light. To bring light. So when somebody creates a lamp, what they do is they have designed the lamp to have life in it, electricity in it, so that it can then project to the world its purpose, what it is designed to do. They can project the, the essence of what is flowing into it. And so we have light. And God created us to have this flow from him into us and a life in us that projects forward. But what happened is that sin came into the world and what sin did is it separated us from God. It separated us from the flow of life coming from God. But not only that, sin created a barrier. You ever seen one of these things, right? It created a barrier. And so people throughout history have been running around trying to plug into something that they don't have the ability to get past. It's stuck. There's no way through. And this broke the heart of God because he loves us dearly. 
And so God, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect, sinless life, and allowed himself to be tortured and nailed to a cross to die. He bore the penalty for our sin. And let me tell you what happened on the cross there. As Jesus died on the cross for all who would come to him, he removed the barrier that I put in way too tight. He removed the barrier. But he was dead. Dead for three days, joining us in death, right? But what happened three days later is Jesus rose. Jesus defeated death. And he gives us life. And what he says is, is now the barrier is removed. The offer of life is for you. And if you will place your trust in me, I will plug you back into the source. That's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about. If somebody wanted to know what we believe in one sentence, it would be what's behind me. God removed every obstacle to reach you and to restore you back to himself. His death and his resurrection, he removed every obstacle to reach you and to restore you back to himself. And as you share this message with people, you notice it's not a thing where you're trying to reach people with something that they don't care about. You're not trying to say, well, you're bad, so become good. You're not trying to say, oh, well, you're on your way to hell, so you need heaven. You're saying that God loves you and he's removed every obstacle in the way to reach you and bring him back to yourself. Why? So that you can have life. Why? So the hole inside can be filled. Why? So that where there was no hope, you now abound in hope. Why? So that where there was no joy, there is now unending joy. Even in the worst of circumstances, we can have joy because we know that we are plugged into the life giver. And so what this means for us is that as believers in Jesus, when we approach those that don't follow him, our job is not to say, hey, you over there, come over here, cross that line, believe everything that I do, do everything that I do, and you're going to be okay. Instead, what we're told that now we need to do is if Jesus is over here, let's make him my guitar just for something big. Jesus is right here. We go and we see them and we say, hey, 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 life's over here. And we go to where they are and we help them put their eyes on Jesus. And then what we do is, is when we do that, see, sometimes we've done that, but what we've done is we've just walked away and been like, see, just follow the path. What we need to do is we need to go to where they are. We need to set their eyes on Jesus, help them to see what we have found. And then we say, I'm going to walk step-by-step through life with you on this journey. And let me tell you, in this journey that we walk with others, the goal for a day is not to hit someone over the head with who Jesus is and go, are you going to pray a prayer? Listen, I know that that's what we do here quite often. And the reason for that is because I have oftentimes half an hour with somebody and they might never be here again, okay? 
But if you're in a relationship with someone, if you're connected to someone, you have the opportunity to, in relationship, walk with them. And pray that one day someone will get the opportunity to lead that person to a place where they truly, fully commit to Jesus. But a good thing for one day is showing up. And a great day is that person taking one step in the right direction. That's all that we're called to do. It's all that we're called to do. To point them towards Jesus, the source of life. Jesus is all about bringing what was dead back to life. I want to close today by reading a, a passage from the prophetic book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37. He writes, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. And then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. And then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. So I spoke this message just as he had told me. Suddenly as I, sorry, yes, you're right. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the, the valley. Just close your eyes and begin to picture this, all right? As you prophesy according to the words of God, suddenly there's a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones and then skin formed to cover their bodies, but there was still no breath in them. And then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the messages he commanded me and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Look at the church in the world. Look at your own faith. Look at the unchurched people in your life. And I want to ask you today, do you believe that these bones can live? Do you believe that they can live? See, the fact of the matter is, it's not about what you or I succeed at by saying the right words or by doing the right things. No, it's about seeing, or seeing the dead live requires us to listen. It requires more than ourselves. It, it requires the breath. It re requires the Holy Spirit of God. I know the other day I was walking around our, our town. I felt led to. It was really windy. <laughs> and as I was walking and, and literally going sideways, I began to pray this to God. I began to say, God, let your Holy Spirit breath, let your wind blow into this place and shake the foundations of our society and bring the dead to life.
We need the Holy Spirit. We need to be prophesying to the breath, hearing him, joining him in the conversation that he's already having with each person on earth around us. That's what we need to be doing. If you think of our district as having about 6,600 people and, and roughly, let's say there's 600 people that are at least loosely associated with Jesus in our area. That means that there are 90, there's 91% of our region is without life, is without hope. It means that there are 6,000 people that we could reach for Jesus. But let's start smaller than that. What would it look like if each one of us reached one this year? Blow things out of the water. Because when you reach one, you don't just reach them, but you change the flow of families. You change the flow of brokenness and heartache in our community. You raise up an army of the living who aren't content to just sit in a seat, but truly desire through the relationship they now have with Jesus Christ to change the world. Friends, you change the world. Today, uh, if you, on your mobile device or at home on your computer this week, if you go to uh, ASCC.life and you tap on the message notes thing there, I've actually got some questions there, discussion questions, questions to consider to ponder, continue to ponder uh, if you, you like to do that this week. You're welcome to do that. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that was there. And I, I'm going to invite Steve just to, to put some music on in the background here. What I, I want us to do in this place for the next couple of minutes is just find four or five people around you and, and get into a, a group. And I want us to pray together that God would help you as you encounter people that are far from him. And listen, I get that this is going to make some people uncomfortable. Okay? If, if you're not big on praying out loud or if you're an introvert or anything like that, totally, I understand that this might make you shake in your boots. And so this is what I'm giving you permission to do. And all around here, we're going to have grace, all right? If you have someone in your group who is just quiet, just let them be quiet. There's no pressure to pray out loud, okay? But allow each of you to be prayed for and to pray for one another. And I want you in this place as you are being prayed for, as you are praying, to think about a name that you will be praying for daily for the next five weeks as we go through this series on how we can effectively reach our community for Jesus, how you can effectively reach your loved ones with life. So go ahead and do that now. I'll call you back when has elapsed. Maybe you're listening and you've been seeking Jesus for a while, trying to make sense of who he is and what he's all about. I want you to know that God in his infinite love has been pursuing you. God wants to have a life-giving relationship with you. But the fact is that every person is born with a rebellious heart and is separated from the life that only comes through a true relationship with their creator. So God did something magnificent. He knew that we could not repair the broken relationship ourselves, so he came to us. 
And we're told that while we were still sinners in active rebellion against God, Jesus Christ died for us. In John 3.16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So, if you're ready to have that newfound life through a relationship with Jesus, I'd like to invite you to pray a prayer with me, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Master and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. As you dedicate your life to following Christ Jesus, you will receive forgiveness for your sins and you will be adopted into the family of God. Let's pray. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve the consequences of my sin. However, I'm trusting in your Son, Jesus Christ, as my Savior. I believe that his death and resurrection provided for my forgiveness. I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone as my Master and my Savior. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and forgiving me. Help me to leave my old ways behind and to live as you would have me live from this time forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer from your heart, I want to welcome you into the family of God. Your next step is to connect with a local church so that you can be shown how to grow in this new relationship with Jesus. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week for more Bible-based encouragement.